Welcome to the Hidden Archives. I am your curator and host, Nicole Clark. A quick note before we begin this episode. We've been experiencing a few technical difficulties lately. The nature of these difficulties is some sort of interference. You may hear some strange things in future episodes. I think we have taken care of it in this episode. However, if you notice anything strange, we would really like it if you reached out to us and told us what you heard. A message or comment on Twitter or Facebook will help us identify and resolve the issue, especially if multiple people notice the same thing and can confirm. We here at the Hidden Archives strive for quality, as we know that's what you expect of us. The next episode is expected in two weeks from the premiere of this episode. To quote an old drinking buddy, H.G. Wells, Human history becomes more and more a race between education and catastrophe. So let me educate you before we have a catastrophe. If you choose to enter the hidden archives, if you choose to study the tomes, if you choose to take this journey with me, you do so at your own risk. Profanity and disturbing content may follow. This is your warning. Tonight we switch gears into something of a more scientific nature. This story may not be gruesome or disturbing, but you should still find it frightening in light of its implications. We want you to remember that the archives lie outside of time, and therefore we are able to take stories from futures that haven't happened yet. The story that follows is titled Seed. It explains both the origins of life and of death, a beginning and an end. So with open minds and ears, let's listen as Admar Susik reads this narrative for us. At first, the chain of events seemed random. Only pure coincidence could have explained how one thing led to another. But in the end, when everything fell apart, we realized that it was fate. Nothing else can bring you up so high and raise your hopes to such a level, only to have that hope incinerated like a pile of cheap rags soaked in telluline. This is how it happened. In the early days, fragments of a meteor were discovered orbiting just far enough away to stay in orbit. It seemed that only a few have ever fallen to the ground as meteorites, though none have ever been found and confirmed. These fragments stayed unnoticed orbiting in space for so long because they were few and far in between, so much so that they were indistinguishable from other space debris that was also orbiting. They were only discovered when the space station started being damaged, losing antennae and solar panels, and even once being shot through by one of these unique meteors. Apparently, the space station had orbited right into the path of the fragments. Eventually, the cause of the problem was identified when scientists realized bits coming off of the station had a distinct orbital pattern once they broke free. All of the damaged pieces broke off the same way and continued in a set vector around the planet. This indicated that something else with a set orbital pattern and period was in the way. They backtracked this pattern and found the meteor fragments themselves. This allowed astronauts to collect a few of the fragments and bring them back for analysis. The scientific revelations were shocking. No other rock this old, had ever been found before. They far outdated anything in the solar system, 
and it was soon determined that the meteor fragments had been orbiting the planet almost since it formed. Yet these rocks harbored another surprise. Each sample collected had all the necessary ingredients for life. Each rock had amino acids and other such chemicals, and also they were laced with a mineral compound that had enough of a constant electrical charge to shock yourself with static. Just the thing to give simple life the jump start it needed to get going. In short, the origins of life had been discovered, but it didn't end there. Once scientists had their hands on this information, they set about determining the origins of the meteors. After years of research, they found an extrasolar planet that had been destroyed right before our solar system started to form. And when this planet was destroyed, it sent fragments of itself shooting in every direction. Some of these fragments made it into our solar system after a long journey through space, as a rocky planet's closer to our sun started to cool. From there, it was hypothesized that a large bit of destroyed extrasolar planet must have collided with a planet or moon in our solar system, and some of the fragments set into various orbits, occasionally coming to the surface of the planets. Here, at least, on this planet, life emerged, took root, and began to evolve. With all these revelations and brand new scientific knowledge, we set about trying to find other extrasolar planets in the so-called habitable zone that may have shared our fate. It was theorized that one very old planet with a diversity of environments was a galactic mother of all life. But the location of this world that had provided ours with the ingredients for life, the Genesis planet as it came to be called, could not be determined since it had been destroyed. The next best hope was found in plausibility. No, the probability that we would find another world with life that may have originated the same way as it did here. Some people dreamed of another place to call home that would feel similar and inviting when we got there. Others, realistic thinkers, just wanted to find simple life, bacteria, algae, or some other sort of single-celled organism. And of course, there were those that dreamed finding a utopia, complete with intelligent life and a thriving civilization. This last hope was held deep down inside of everyone at some level, that we might find someone else in the universe to call friend, someone to share scientific and mathematical knowledge with, someone to communicate and bond with, Someone who saw things from a different perspective than our own. Just to know we were not alone in the universe. Well, we weren't. After many years of tiresome searching, we had discovered many other planets very much like our own. Approximately the same size, liquid water present, even a few with breathable atmospheres. Yet none had any life at all. They were all barren, and hope had almost run out. Then they came. The day it all started was cold, but nice all the same. It was bright outside, and people were going about their normal lives together and apart. It wasn't in the dark of night, 
There were not singular witnesses here and there to be easily discredited. No one was taken from their beds. It didn't happen like it does in the movies. It never does. People were all going about their business when a small, sleek aircraft entered the atmosphere above a major city. Which city it was, no one can remember exactly. It was too long ago and things have changed so much since then. The alien craft was slow in its approach. Not shooting through the sky, not entering at breakneck speed. Not even trying to look inconspicuous. It was just cautious. Every move it made seemed to be very carefully calculated and precise. It stayed, slowly cruising above the city for a very long time. Long enough that, before it even landed, everyone on the planet knew it was there, and that it was not from our world. People were curious. There wasn't much panic. There weren't any attempts other than the military to contact it. We were just curious, fascinated at seeing in our own atmosphere the very thing that we had scoured the universe for years in an attempt to find. Intelligent alien life existed. When they decided to land, escorted by our own military aircraft, they sat down at a level grass field just outside of the city. There were rumors that they were in communication with official people and that they claimed peace, that theirs was a mission of science only to be watermarked by diplomacy. Most people were unsure of the validity of these rumors because no one knew how they could understand our language or how we could speak theirs. It was just assumed that they had a way to translate languages between their people and ours, since we didn't possess such a technology. Something like that had been the case, because the whole event seemed scripted as they landed, then waited for our military to approach and set up before the aliens opened the door of their craft. There were a few media camera crews that were to record and broadcast the encounter. When the aliens emerged, everyone expected to see little green men. But once more, these expectations were proven invalid. What emerged from the ship were people exactly like us. They looked like us. They had our posture. And they showed emotions like we do. Everyone thought it was some sort of hoax. But when they spoke, we knew the truth. They were loud and harsh like they wanted to make sure, above all else, that they were heard. Their language made even the harshest aspect of any of our languages seem lyrical and soothing. However, when they finished saying what they wanted, a voice from their callers reiterated what they had said in our language. When we spoke, the same box shouted back to them in their own language. The whole occasion of their arrival was very ceremonious. Some of our city officials finally arrived and shook hands. They actually shook hands with the captain and crew of their ship. Then gifts were exchanged. Their captain gave our mayor an anthology composed of information of their world, people, cultures, and scientific achievements. When our scientists got a chance to examine it, they were amazed at how much further advanced they were than us. Our city officials presented them with something very similar, but because the encounter was unexpected, 
it was a little bit less concise. The gifts were accepted by both parties with much gratitude. So began a peaceful encounter that marked the occasion of first contact. It was a good many months before the public was made aware of the aliens' exact intentions. They stated that they had been monitoring space for radio waves for a long time, and that like us, they were searching for other worlds that resembled their own. Then, when looking for a system where they had discovered a world like their own, they started having trouble with their telescopes and other scientific instruments. When they pointed a radio telescope at the same region, they picked up on some of our transmissions that had traveled all the way across space. From this point, they decided to make a journey here. They already had the technology because long before this point, their world had feared what they thought was certain destruction. With this fear in mind, a technological revolution took place and their scientific knowledge increased exponentially. Later, they discovered that what they had feared was certain destruction was actually part of a natural rhythm of their world. So the whole event was virtually forgotten. Since they already had the technology in spacecrafts, but had never used them, they decided to chance a voyage here to contact us and establish an intergalactic union, a neighborhood amongst the stars. The public knew their mission. We traded knowledge, and peace existed between us for a long time. Apparently, we knew a few things that they did not. Specifically, they did not have prior knowledge that extraterrestrial life may exist. It was by mere coincidence that they found us. When we shared this knowledge with them, they quickly did some research and experimentation in conjunction with our own scientists and it was discovered that our two races had evolved in the exact same way from the exact same material. Then they turned to the skies, again working with our scientists in our labs. They set out trying to discover other worlds with beings like us. But after many years and countless surveys of the stars, it was all but concluded that our two races were alone. Our two peoples were similar, but unique unless life had evolved in some other way, somewhere else, very far out in the universe. But that was okay, because each race had the other as a friend and we could help each other prosper. This relationship seemed especially beneficial to us here. In just a few short years, our knowledge of the universe had more than quadrupled. However, the aliens refused to share their knowledge of deep space travel. Apparently, they feared that we might use it to take advantage of their world and their world resources. We were fine with this because our intentions were pure. The aliens never took advantage of us, and there was really no place to go in the universe otherwise. However, the aliens left. They said they would be back soon, and we welcomed them to return at any time. Communication was established between our worlds, and for a long time, Knowledge continued to be shared. Some of us even learned their language, and a few of them learned ours. But after a while, their world again feared destruction. They pleaded with our world for help. They even returned and took some of our best minds to their world to assist them. But no solution to their problems could be found. 
finally, fearing the worst, they turned to us for a new home. We negotiated with them and allowed them a certain numbers of their people to come to our world and stay. But our resources were not unlimited, and we had to think of our own people first. So we couldn't take everyone. However, they tried to send everyone that their resources would allow. And who could blame them? Tensions started to rise between our worlds. For the first time, after many years of peaceful coexistence, war seemed inevitable. It was certainly not the desire of our world to start an intergalactic conflict, but they were relentless. Finally, a ship of theirs that we had never seen before entered our atmosphere without permission. When it was close enough to make out visually, their intent was made clear. The ship was a warship, and this was a surprise attack. They were careful not to destroy anything that might be a resource to them. They only targeted people, the government, and economic buildings. They set about to create chaos and destroy order. We retaliated by destroying their warship. There were thousands of people aboard that vessel. They were all killed, but tens of thousands of our own people were slaughtered, so our military started devising battle plans. The first and probably only intergalactic war had started. Our military was, however, a formidable opponent for theirs. The war raged on for many years, and it was estimated that casualties were in the hundreds of millions on either side. The conflict seemed like it would never end. Each world kept devising ways to create more powerful and efficient weapons to kill each other, and stronger defenses and armors to protect themselves. Every time something new appeared on the battlefield for one side, the other side was quick to counter with something of their own. Another technological boom named death had happened. Finally, it got to the point where both worlds had about exhausted their resources and desperation set in. Some went into hiding, others came out and protested, begged for the fighting to stop. All anyone really wanted was for a peaceful coexistence to be re-established. These hearts were on both sides. I'm one of them. The time in which I write this is expected to be part of the last days in which our people will inhabit our own world. In fact, things seemed so dismal that I have contacted a sympathizer of our plight on the alien world to record this, as I fear this record would be destroyed when they take over. I want this to be an account of what was, what is, and what should never be. This is very likely one of the last accounts of the history of our people, as written by one of our people. The irony is that this history won't even be kept on our world. It must be kept on theirs to be certain of its survival. I only hope that it will serve as a reminder of what happened, a warning to future generations, and a template for peace. Though the existence of my home world is in question, I take solace in knowing that this history, this very document, will remain safe from destruction on this distant planet known as Earth. Keep in mind, dear listener, that the future is not set in stone. We can keep this and other atrocities from coming to fruition. 
To quote H.G. Wells once more, If we don't end war, war will end us. At this point, we'd like to offer a special thanks to Admar Susik for lending his voice to narration. We'd also like to give a big shout-out and thank you to Sarah Schrader for inspiring tonight's extraterrestrial theme. And finally, we thank you, dear listeners, for seeing us into our second year. There are many more stories from the Hidden Archives that have yet to be shared. We hope that you join us next time for another glimpse into the archives. This has been a production of the Rhodes Collaborative Experience, LLC. Please no reproduction, duplication, or bastardization of any content without written consent from RCX or its partners. Ex Animo, Ex Tempus, in Archivum. <laughs>